0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning to come together and worship God through song and through studying his word. If you please stand with me, if you are able, we will worship God through singing, Come Thou Fount, Come Thou King. In thy grace tunes of mercy never ceasing calls for songs of loudest praise teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above raise a mountain fix upon it mount of thy I- I was lost in utter darkness, till you came and rescued me. I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. Now my soul can sing a new song, now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me, and I'll never be alone. come thou king come thou precious prince of peace hear your bride to you we sing come thou fount of our blessing come thou fount come thou king come thou precious prince of peace hear your To grace how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be Let thy goodness like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to thee Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it Prone to leave the God I love Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it Seal it for thy courts above Come thou found, come thou king Come thou precious prince of peace Hear your bride to you we sing Come thou found of our blessing Come thou found come thou king Come thou precious prince of peace Be your bride to you we sing Come thou found of our blessing
1: And good morning. I'm glad that you that you were here and today you made it safely. And uh, it's nice to ha- it's nice to be out here and it's nice to know that it's going to warm up this week and the snow is going to go away. I'm telling you that I'm having withdrawal from my motorcycle. I wore my helmet while I was on my tractor. It's not the same. You know, just saying. Okay. So it's just how it works out. So we're thankful that you're here. We're going to come. We're going to worship. We're going to lo- learn from God's word. We're going to encourage one another. That's part of what being in church is. And even if you're online, letting somebody else know that you're there, it's the idea that you we're not in this alone. We're walking this journey as we follow Christ together, and we have one another to lean on. So look around, these people, and pray for these people that are with you, and and know that they're going to pray for you, because we're we're in this battle, Christ is walking with us, but... Christ is walking with you and me, and we're walking together, and that's part of what it means to be a church as we as we walk through that time. So tonight is Randy's class. It starts at 6 o'clock. We're going to meet over in the chapel of the other building. So I will tell you right now that we cleaned off the ramp yesterday at help, and, and the ramp and everything got cleaned off, but it's iced again. And so I would recommend parking on the other side of the building, and we'll let you in. It's a shorter walk anyway, and it's level, and you can walk in the chapel area over there. There's a good-sized class. If you're not signed up for it, but you decide, hey, I'd like to go, show up, and we'll make room for you, okay? We're looking forward to that. Randy did have to leave to go take care of his daughter, but we're hopeful that everything pans out, and we'll come back, and he'll be back here for tonight. So I want to say that. And then next week, some of you know that, that next week is the Super Bowl. Right, and so uh, the Chiefs aren't in it, so I don't know how the interest was because when somebody asked about having, can we have a, a watch party so we can watch it? I think they thought the Chiefs were going to be in it, but nevertheless, we'll go ahead and we'll proceed with this because really, what's 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 the Super Bowl watch party about? Food. 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 Yeah. So there we go. Okay. <laughs> I didn't even take a. Then you know, you just knew where that was going to go. So. We'll come, I think your guys are bringing food, and, and, and we'll do it safely as we can, but, but uh, we'll have a good time of fellowship. However the, t- the game turns out, we'll have a good time of, of fellowship as we hang together. It Because it, this month, we didn't do the fellowship meal, and that's our time to connect, and we call the connect meal on a Wednesday night, and uh, that's what we're going to do, is that party for, is that time for you guys to fellowship, to talk with one another, to catch up on life, and. Maybe even watch a little football while you're doing that. So I encourage you to be part of that. We'll start that at five. The game starts at five thirty. So that means you can get all settled in with your 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 plate or two plates of food and your drinks, and 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 sit down there and, and do that. So thankful for that. I want to pray here, and I know that you guys have things on your heart, and I I know that as pastor I get I get let. You know, I don't know everything that goes on, but I usually know when the big things are going on, and I know when people are having surgeries and when things are working out and how things are going, and I'm just here to tell you that today, that as you pray, know that God has already answered prayers, and God will continue to answer prayers, and that's why we go to the Lord in prayer, and so I don't know what's on your heart, I don't know what you, what you what's the obstacle in front of you, but I know that... Our God can take care of that. God has and will continue to do those big things. And so uh, I want to go to the Lord in prayer. And, and most importantly, I want to pray for somebody that you're praying for that, that doesn't know Jesus. Um, it, it's, not just, it's not good enough to be healthy. They need to be, they need to know Jesus as their Savior. Because somewhere along the line, all of our lives end. And we have to know Jesus to get to heaven. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that we can come and pray before you. We thank you for the the, the beauty of the, the landscape with the snow on it, Father. Thank you for helping us to traverse it. And Father, as we come together to pray, whether or come together to worship, whether we're here in the building or online, Father, just pray that you would draw us closer to you, Father, that for this moment that we are together as we're singing the songs, we're looking at your word. Father, may, may our minds be clear, our ears clear, that, that we might be absorbed by sitting down with you this day. By being in your presence. Father, I pray, Lord, for those things in our heart, Lord, that, 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 that would cause this anxiety and what might take our thoughts away. Father, I pray that we would lay them down at your feet this, this minute, Lord, to know that you can take care of them. Father, we, we also want to pray for those people, that, those friends of ours, those acquaintances, those family members of ours who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Father, give us an opportunity to share the gospel. Give somebody an opportunity to share the gospel. And Father, we, we anticipate celebrating, Lord, their coming to know you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Please stand with us once again if you're able as we come together and sing. The grace of God has reached for me From the raging sea, and I am safe on the solid ground. The Lord is my salvation. I will not fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. I'll see the dawn of the rising sun. The Lord is my salvation. Who is the My hope is hidden in the Lord, He flowers, His promise of His Word. When winter fades, I know spring will come, the Lord is my salvation. In times of waiting, times of need,
1: when I know lost, when I am
0: weak, I know His grace will renew these days, the Lord is my salvation. final day, he will not leave me in the grave, but I will rise, he will call me home, the Lord is my salvation. salvei The splendor of the key the lion and the lamb, the lion and the lamb. Yeah
1: How great is our God? Who is like our Lord? Okay. Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna try to answer that question and, and think about that as we walk through the book of Nahum. Okay? We're gonna look at the book of Nahum. I'm gonna ask this question. I had somebody ask me this morning, uh, one of my Scott texted me to let me know he's praying for me, and he asked me what book am I pre- where am I preaching from? And I said, Nahum, because that's what everybody's preaching from today, right? And uh, and I and I pondered the thought: Is this anybody's favorite book? Okay, you know, because we all have our favorite book. I don't know that Nahum stands out as one of those, but I hope that as we walk through the book of Nahum, as we read the first chapter, you're going to recognize verses. You're going to there's a couple verses in here, like the seventh and the fifteenth verse, that you will recognize, and you'll you'll, you'll those will. You know, check a box and say, I, I, I've heard that before. I've seen that in one of those verse things that they do nowadays. But, but what we're going to capture is the whole of the book of Nahum. So we're in the first chapter today. There's only three chapters. We're going to be in the first chapter today, and we're going we're to talk a little bit. I want to give you some background information. Let's talk about the time of Nahum. Okay, Nahum is the prophet. All right, Nahum is the prophet. Nahum is the one that delivers. And I will say this. This, this book, why it, it doesn't get a lot of reading or why it doesn't get maybe get a lot of attention is because it's simply an oracle against Nineveh. How many of you have been to Nineveh? How many of you have even thought about going to Nineveh? It doesn't exist. Okay, You'll understand why when you read the book. It's an oracle against Nineveh. It's an, it, in other words, it, it's the, the, the curse of against a nation that we've never heard of before. Well, we've heard of, but it's not place that... It's not a thorn in our side. And it's, it's two people long gone to a nation that's long gone. So what is it about the book of Nahum that we can relate to? So the time of Nahum, it's after the fall of Thebes, or Na- Na- Noaman, as it's called in the book of, of Nahum. And Thebes is a city in Egypt. So it's after the fall of Thebes, and it's before the fall of Nineveh. Now, the Nineveh fell, if history records correctly, fell in 612. Let's put that in perspective in a timeline. When was the first deportation back to Babylon from Israel, from Judah? 605. Ju- Jerusalem fell in 586. So we're not talking, what are we talking, 20-something years there between the fall of Assyria, the fall of Nineveh, and the fall of, of Jerusalem. So you kind of put that in a timeline. Interestingly enough, some of these tag, because we've got, a, a it's like 663 to 612. There's the span of time from Thebes to Nineveh to, uh, the Falling. So you can place it in between, anywhere in between. It could be towards like the 615 range, right, it's right before that. It could be a little bit further back. And maybe it may have come during the, ta- the, re- the reforms that happened under Josiah, when um, Jeremiah and Zephaniah, and those guys were prophets, or Zechariah, one of those guys was prophets. So that's kind of the timeline, so you understand what's going on in the world history and, and what's happening there. So let's talk about Nineveh, since none of you have been there, and none of you have vacation pictures, and I don't have vacation pictures from there. Let's talk a little bit about Nineveh. Nineveh was the largest city at its time. At the time that it fell, it was the largest city in the, in the world, is what they tell me. And so I'll take their word for it. It had eight, ma- eight miles of inner wall and like 12 miles of outer wall. It had suburbs outside of the inner wall. Eight mile wa- wall, it was like 100 feet tall, and you could race three chariots across the top of it. That's how wide it was. So you get an idea of the splendor. Of Nineveh it also had a library inside of there full of clay tablets and there's more to that. you can you, if you got the Bible app you'll see that at the end. I put a bunch of that stuff in there so you could read a little bit more about Nineveh. Now understand <coughs> excuse me, that it's wealth. how did they rise to prosperity? Well, they, they robbed. they stole, they defeated, they plundered. That's what they did. It was a nation that rose up, marched over other nations again and again and again, and they would haul back all the, all the spoil, as the, as the scripture calls it. They would haul back the spoil of the war. They would you know, they would take your house and they would go through your house, and anything they wanted, they want your big TV, they'd, they'd march it out the door. You wouldn't have a TV, but back in Nineveh, there was all kinds of things going on because they had marched it back. Now, Nineveh was a powerful, the Assyrian army was powerful. We remember, I hope, that Assyria marched against Jerusalem under Sennacherib. Do you remember that story? And, and as a matter of fact, just to kind of get an idea, when you, if you remember that story, Nineveh was the big bully. Here's how they did warfare a lot of times. They'd camp outside, they'd make a lot of noise, and they'd walk up to the wall and say, you want to surrender or you want to fight us? And oftentimes, cities would surrender without a battle. But when they came to Jerusalem, they battled, they they battened up the hatches and were ready for whatever might happen. But I'm going to tell you that they knew that the army outside was bigger than the army inside. And so when Sennacherib's man came up to the wall, they said, has he he lured you in? I've been reading through, and I I read through that in Chronicles, and after Hezekiah made all these reforms and brought the people back to worship God, that's when Sennacherib comes. The timing seems odd. (laughs) But that's when Sennacherib shows up. And he says, don't believe that your God is going to protect you from us. Because he says, and he mentions, has the God of this place and the God of that place. Because everybody had their own gods, right? They had set them up. They, they worshipped idols. Everybody had something made out of wood or stone. It was the God of their city or their country. And they they were right. They were undefeated. They marched over everybody. But when Hezekiah prayed to God, they woke up the next morning and, the Assyrian camp had taken great, a great hit, had lost over 100,000 men. I don't remember the number right now. And they turned and they headed back to Nineveh. They didn't take Jerusalem. matter of fact, in some of my reading, some of the other countries sat and wanted to know, well, what, what did you do? Because we'd like to do the same, because they know we know they're coming our way. But it was because they trusted in the God. So we see a Syrian army, and we think of the defeat that they experienced at, at Jerusalem. But I'll let you know that that's an anomaly in their history. They marched over everybody. And so this is a time of Nahum. This is Nineveh. This is a little bit about Nineveh and in its glory. But I also want to talk a little bit about the attitude of Nineveh because that will help us understand a little bit more about the book of Nahum and and the contents of the book of Nahum the oracle against Nineveh Nineveh had this attitude as I already said that no god could stand before them. We call that pride. Right? It's that's what that is. That's what that is. They would they would they would do these death marches. Because what the Assyrians would do is they would come in and they would displace you. That's what the Babylonians did. They took the, the people out of Jerusalem and moved them to the Babylon. So it's not an unheard of thing. They weren't they weren't the first or the last to do that. But here's what the Assyrians would do: they would march them and then they would put they would mix people. So you lost your identity. In other words, they would, if they were to take the United States, they would mix us with Canadians and Mexicans and Brazilians and Russians, and pretty soon we'd lose our identity. We wouldn't be Americans anymore. And that's what their, their whole goal was. In other words, they didn't want you to, to relocate you and then you guys all to get together in an alley someplace and decide to do an uprising. So they took away your identity. That was what they, they did. I'll also say that because this is in our news today with the Olympics in China, we've heard this term recently. Uh, what was attached to the Assyrians was genocide, okay, where they would go in and take out complete populations. Right, They would eradicate them. they tell them they were going to march them off someplace, and they never really made it to the other place. They would die in between. Uh, they were a ruthless people, a prideful people, and, and here's, here's the, the, the catch to this. As you read through the Scriptures, you'll find that God raised up the Assyrians for the purpose of bringing judgment upon the northern kingdom who was unfaithful to God. They had their idolatry. They worshipped idols. They, uh, there was no good king in the history of the northern kingdom after they split off from the southern kingdom with Rehoboam and Jeroboam to the Jeroboam was the north. Remember, he's the guy that set up the calves. And they worshiped the calves because they didn't want them going back to Jerusalem to worship there because they thought he would, they would lose their allegiance to him. And so this is what's going on. So So the Assyrians weren't there because of their own power. They were there because God had ordained it to happen. When the Assyrians fall, when Nineveh falls to the Babylonians and the Persians, or Babylonians and the Medes, understand that history recounts it as some sort of grand battle plan that worked out in the favor of the Babylonians so they would rise to power. But you and I need to understand that as we walk through the annals of history, That it is God that's raising up nations and God that is taking nations down. And so as we read about the fall of the Assyrian Empire, the the fall of Nineveh, the prophecy of the fall of Nineveh, understand that God's hand is working in history to bring about His will. That's what He's working out here. So here's the question that I want to ask. And here's the question that they wanted to ask. Because the people that were left, the people that were listening to this message that, that... nahum would deliver they would get wind of this they had the question they had seen that god used the assyrians to judge the northern kingdom it was the prophets made it known this is why this happened so the assyrians were used to judge the northern kingdom the question that would follow up there is can god bring judgment on assyria because assyria was a powerhouse It was a nation like they'd never seen before in their power and their ability to take captive nation after nation after nation. And so when we talk about who is like our Lord or how great is our God, the question at their time is this. We serve God. We worship God. We know that God can judge us, but can God God take out the nation of Assyria? Can God really truly bring them down? Because they are powerful. They have taunted in every and, and their God that they attribute the victory to, well, they're winning. So why would it, you know, they need to know that the God of Israel is bigger than the God of Assyrians? And that's the question that's going to be a- answered as we read through this. And I know that here's, the, here's the, 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 the problem with that is how many of you have been losing sleep over Assyria? Nineveh. All right. Nobody's been losing sleep. But I want you to know that as we walk through this, we face an enemy that is bigger than Assyria, that is bigger than Nineveh. Can God bring judgment on Satan might be the word, the way that I would rephrase that question. And to answer that question to ask that question in terms of our time and space? Can God bring them down? And so that's a question that we're going to look at as we walk through this. So let's pick it up in the first verse of the first chapter, "The Oracle of Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite, and that's all we know about it. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The blossoms of Lebanon wither. Mountains quake because of him, and the hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence. The world and all the inhabitants in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken up by him. The Lord is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of its sight. He will pursue his enemies into darkness. Whatever you devise against the Lord, he will make a complete end of it. Distress will not rise up twice. Like tangled thorns, and like those who are drunken with their drink, they are consumed the stubble, completely withered. From you has gone forth one who plotted evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord Though they are at full strength, and likewise many, even so, they will be cut off and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will no longer, I will afflict you no longer. So now I will break his yoke bar from upon you, and I will tear off your shackles. The Lord has issued a command concerning you. Your name will no longer be perpetuated. I will cut off idle image from the house of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are contemptible. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good news. Who announces peace. Celebrate your feasts so Judah pay your vows. For never again will the wicked one pass through you. He has cut off completely. Powerful stuff. In this passage as we open up the book of Nahum. What we find is this. God has made the declaration that by no means. Will he leave the guilty unpunished. So this is God's act of vengeance, God's act of judgment on Nineveh and on the Assyrians. This is what we find out about about what God is going to do. It's His plan. Now, I will say that when I read through this, but reading some background information, found it interesting. Because here's what happens a lot of times, and I'll say this, that we do this with Scripture naturally we tend to focus on the horizontal level on us and on people. When you read through the book of Nahum, and perhaps a lot of other scripture, God reveals himself to us. We're not going to go to heaven to see one another. We're going to heaven to stand in his presence. And in this, we get to learn about who God is as we open up this, particularly this first chapter of Nahum. God is going to punish the guilty. God is going to punish the guilty. Israel was guilty. He punished them. Assyria, who did not worship God, is guilty. And God is going to punish them. And it says in there that God is a jealous and avenging God. I think it's like the second verse. Did you realize how often he used avenging or vengeance in there? God is a jealous God. What do the Ten Commandments tell us? That we should have no other God. He is a jealous God. We know that from the get-go. We understand that. And when God wants to avenge, when God wants to bring His vengeance, God can do that. Understand that God isn't about love all of the time. God is a vengeful God. We have to mesh all of that together. And so when we open up this book of Nahum, we see that God is a jealous God and an avenging God, and he is about to enact his vengeance on this nation. Now the question needs to be, that that we're trying to ask, can God do this? Can God actually carry out his vengeance? You've heard a lot of people that have made, their bark is worse than their bite, right? They say a lot of things and cannot back it up. Right? We, we, we say this, it really doesn't come into play. And so, the, the question is, can God do this? And I, I want you to see the similarity. We, we walked not too long ago through the book of Ezekiel. And when we opened up the chapters of Ezekiel, we saw this. When we think about the, the, the quest, the task, the great commandment that the, that the disciples and the apostles had to carry out in the book of Acts, this, what happened before they were asked to do that? Jesus rose from the dead. He overcame death. Nobody had ever done that before. You see, when God's about to do something and He needs His people to understand, He shows up in a big and mighty way. And walking out of the grave is a big and mighty thing. When He opened up the passage of Ezekiel, the vision that He had there, that's of a God bigger than our imagination. Even though the writer of Ezekiel tries to capture that for us, we're still left with our heads swimming trying to capture the largeness, the bigness, the power power of God. And as we read through the book of Nahum, as we talk about him carrying out the vengeance, he's not going to leave the guilty unpunished, what do we get to discover? That our God, the God that they serve, the God that we serve, is great in power. Okay? He's great in power. Now... I hope that you, when you read through that, you, you began to cap- capture the pictures of exactly how big God is. He's a whirlwind in the storm. One of the, the versions, I think it's a message, talks about the tornadoes or what happens when he walks through. That's, that's how big he is. Okay, the, the typhoons, those kind of things. you got kind of to get the imagery there. I love this, and this is actually one of my songs. Clouds are the dust beneath your feet. You get that? Don't do Jack and the Beanstalk on me, okay? All right? He's bigger than that. Clouds are the dust beneath his feet. The mountains quake at his presence. In one of the songs, darkness tries to hide. Hills dissolve. He, the, the world is upheaved. Up the, the world and all of its inhabitants, that is a powerful God. We need to understand that. As, as, we, as we try to grasp what God is going to do to the Assyrians, what they needed to understand, that what God was bigger than what they had boxed Him into. God was bigger than the ark. God was bigger than the tent. God was bigger than the temple. God was bigger than the nation of Judah. God was bigger than the nation even under the extent that it was during the time of Solomon. God was bigger than that. God was bigger than the Assyrian Empire. And God is bigger than our enemy today. You understand when we open up the book of Revelation, what do we start with? The throne room, right? When we get into that description, it's the greatness and power of God on display before God carries out his vengeance on his enemy. And so as we open up the book of Nahum, you and I get invited into that, into a, a looking at God and seeing something different than maybe we've thought about for a while. You know, because I'm, I'm just going to say honestly, we, we often sit down in our prayers, God God heals people, right? He's bigger than that. God provides safe travel, He's bigger than that. God saves individuals. He's bigger than that. And Nahum helps to walk us into a God who is great in power. Clouds of the dust, so speak, the, the earth quakes. And it uses these two sentences, and, the, and it goes on to explain that. Who can stand before Him? Who can endure His wrath? And the answer to that question is what? No one. Absolutely no one. They think that they can. The Assyrians had thought they had defeated this God, but they can't stand before God. They cannot endure his vengeance. Satan, when he gathers, and in the book of Revelation, when he gathers all of the armies together to come and do battle with Jesus, he's not doing that because he thinks he's going to lose, is he? But again, these words will come true these words will hold, who can stand before him, who can endure his vengeance. And what it says in that passage of Scripture, and and this is is a little bit of what we get to see in history, that they didn't get to see. As he talks about who God is, what's God going to do? God's going to bring this judgment, and he's going to bring a complete end. A complete end to Nineveh, and a complete end to the Syrian empire. Consumed as stubble. I want you to think of stubble with the fire raging across it. It's going to consume that. He's going to prepare your grave. God has already dug the grave at this time for the, the proud and strong in full strength Assyrian Syrian empire. God has already dug the grave and said, this is your end. I am going to put you into to this grave. I'm going to pursue my enemies, and I'm going to plant you in here. And I want you to know that, that as, I, I, as, as you do some research on Nineveh, you'll find out that archaeologists found it someplace in the 1800s. It's not a destination to go tour. God brought, God said He would bring a complete end of it, and God brought a complete end of it. That shouldn't surprise us also might make us think again about some things. It is in this, as, as he delivers this oracle to Nineveh, it's not good news for them, but it is good news for those that stand and watch for Judah who had been harassed by Jerusalem, that had been harassed by the, 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 the Assyrian Empire. They went away, but they didn't leave them untouched. It's good news for them. He announces peace because the yoke or the the fetters, the bonds that Assyria had placed would be removed. I put up there our guilt with a question mark because it's interesting people that write books, people that study for a living kind of thing, were were a little perplexed by the absence of the mention of the guilt of Israel as we talk about the destruction of Nineveh. I want you to think about this, because it says, He knows those who take refuge in Him. Those who have placed their trust in Him. When Jesus comes back, when the trumpet sounds, and the dead in Christ rise, and then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air. I want to ask you this question. Will it be only those people who have never sinned? Wouldn't be much of a show, would it? It is those people who are covered by the blood of Christ, whose sins have been forgiven, who belong to him. So when I look at that perplexing question about the absence of the mention of the sin of of Judah and of Israel, it is because they are his people and their sins have been forgiven because these people have sought to have forgiveness. They've offered the sacrifices. These are God's people that it is good news to. When I read about the end of everything, the destruction of of this world as we know it, and the enemies of God, I know that I have sinned, but I'm covered by the blood, and it is a comfort to me that the enemy will finally be removed, and we can stand in the presence of God as we were intended to stand. Because of what he's done. So you see, it is, it is the good news that he stands there and proclaims that. Then Paul uses those words. I believe it's in Romans that he uses those words out of the 15th verse. Because it is good news. Because the enemy of God has been taken care of. Not by us. Not because of what we've done. But because of the power of God. Because of the power of God. Here's the things that I want you to think about. The action steps that I'd like you to take. You've read through this. You've seen the power of God. You've seen how God has judged. You're aware that God has taken out Nineveh, and they were no longer. And I want to. We asked this question at the beginning because again, you are not concerned with Nineveh, but you are concerned with God's enemy. Can God bring judgment on Satan? When we read about that future event in the Book of Revelation and throughout the Scriptures, throughout the Gospels. Can God actually do that? Yes, He can. You and I need to rest in that assurance that God can take care of that. Now, I'm going to say this: most of us, on a daily basis, are not all that too concerned about it. We may not even give it thought from time to time until we read about it in a Sunday school lesson or a devotional or something like that, or I mention it. Right. We're dealing with, how am I going to pay for Christmas? What am I going to do about my car that's not running? What am I going to do about this ailment or that ailment? What about my my family member? You know, those are the kind of things that that concern us. What about my job? It's not going very well. And and business has been kind of slow, etc., will I get laid off? Those are the things that consume us on a daily basis. Those are the things that, honestly, we go and we pray to God with. We don't, God, I'm praying you defeat Satan, and the end of this happens. That's probably not our prayer on a normal basis. But we are praying for those things that intersect and happen in our life. And so what difference does it make that God can defeat Satan? What difference does it make that God can defeat Assyria? Well, if God can take care of something that large, I'm just going to say the burden that you're carrying around with you, the thing that's causing you anxiety, the thing that you're fretting over and worrying over, the thing that you're taking to God and laying down at His throne and probably picking back up again. God can take care of those things. God is bigger than the biggest. So God can take care of the little things. When we fail to trust Him in the little things, we're missing out because God can take care of those things. He knows those things. He's not like, oh, I don't have time for you. He wants you to know that He is God and that He can answer your prayers. You and I need to do that. So when I ask that question, can God bring judgment on Satan? The answer is yes, but then can God take care of all of my problems? That needs to be the follow-up question to that. And you need to understand that if He can take care of Satan, if He can take care of the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, whatever other empire empires risen and fallen between now and then, God can take care of your flat tire. Next question, where is my refuge? Where is the stronghold that I go to for protection? Where is it that I, that I go the answer should be God. The answer is not always God. So you need to be honest with that. And where are you seeking refuge from the storms of life? And, and the last thing that I'm asking you to do, and this is one of these things I want you to ponder and go back through the, the first chapter of Nahum. Picture God using the book of Nahum, using that first chapter that we just read, great in power, a jealous and avenging God. And, and, and maybe as you're picturing how God is described in the book of Nahum, maybe it will help you to take God out of the box that you've placed Him in that's way too small. Maybe draw a picture of that, because he's bigger than what you think. Let's stand. We're going to stand. We're going to give the invitation, and and here's how this will work. Um, If you want to come and pray for whatever it is, know that you can come down and pray, that we will pray with you. If somebody comes down, just simply pray for them. Don't wonder why they're there. Just simply pray for them. If you need to to you know say, God, I, I put you, then I want I want to understand you as Nahum did. It might be that. It might be that you have some other concern, some some something that you need to do. Join the church, give your life to Christ, whatever it might be. This is why we give the invitation. It's the time to respond. Exactly to what God is leading in your life. Let's sing. Father, as we come to the close of this service, Father, we know that You are not done. Father, help us to understand truly how great Thou art. Father, to use the book of Nahum to expand our our understanding and our vision of who You are. Father, to to return with vigor to Your throne, to bring our requests to You, Lord, knowing that You are more than able to answer and to deal with the problems in our our lives, Father, just pray that you would use us as a light to go out into a world that's trusted in other things. Father, help them to see that our trust, our refuge is in you. And Father, help us to give them an invite that they can too put their trust in you. In Jesus' name. Here's your I've read for this this week, so I encourage you to read. Encourage you to read your scripture. And uh, we'll put some videos up Wednesday. And I hope that what you're doing is you're not only reading these, but you're discussing them with somebody. Okay? That's the whole idea. Thank you. Have a good afternoon.